Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Currency Exchange, a NatWest podcast series all about foreign exchange markets. Today, we're going to focus in on North America, specifically the U.S., Canada, and Mexico, talk about some of the themes in the U.S. Uh, in the past week, and also touch on some broader themes, uh, what's going on in Mexico from a political and economic environment, and also talk about some of the data that we saw in Canada over the past seven days as well. And to do that, I'm very happy to be joined by Alvaro Vivanco, who heads our EM strategy team here at NetWest. Alvaro, thanks for joining. Thank you for having me. So maybe I'll start off quickly and talk a little bit about what's been going on in the U.S. over the past week and bring you in to talk about some of the themes on Mexico. So just starting in the U.S., it was certainly a bit of a slower week in terms of data and key economic events over the past week, really since we, you know, since we last had our podcast last week. Um, maybe the last, you could really say the last several weeks have been very loaded with economic data. We've been talking about Federal Reserve decisions and a lot of economic data in the U.S. surprising in most cases to the top side, you know, especially the CPI and PPI inflation readings that we got um, last week. Those have really been the big drivers of the global dollar. This week, we've seen a bit of a step back in terms of economic data. We just haven't had the FOMC speakers and the big data that have really been driving the dollar. And sort of in the absence of that data, the dollar has taken a little bit of a step back over the last couple of days. It almost feels like you know, the dollar has had a pretty big move. It's showed some signs of maybe relaxing that move a bit. But I think it's likely that we're heading, you know, we're just as we've exited the big heavy data period, we're heading right back into it coming up next week. And I think the big one that will be in focus for the dollar would be the PCE report, specifically the PCE deflator. You know, one of the big things we always focus on in the US when it comes to the Fed and inflation is that their main target inflation reading is the PCE deflator, not the CPI or the PPI. And so, you know, when you think about potential divergences, not all of the strength or weakness in any one month of CPI or PPI feeds into the PCE deflator. And that's something that when you have big outside surprises, in these other inflation index as we've had uh, over the, over this latest month. That's something that we need to keep into account for the PCE. But we are looking at a lot of the strength in the PC, in the CPI and PPI for this month is likely to feed into the core PCE deflator. And so from a month-on-month -month perspective, you know, the month-on-month -month core PCE number, which I think most will be watching, uh, we're looking at probably a solid 0.4% advance. And it's, I think it's even possible that it could round up to a 0.5% on the headline, which would be you know, quite a strong number. And so from the dollar perspective, I think some of that's already in the price. I think if you look at the Bloomberg consensus, that's already pricing in a 0.4 on the core PC deflator. And it's coming off of a couple of other inflation readings that have been strong. So when we're thinking tactically about the dollar, you know, as frequent listeners to this podcast will know is that we've been leaning positive on the dollar really since the turn of the year with the economic data and also the timing of changes in the Fed expectations. Um, we think leaning into a more positive outlook uh, for the dollar and still feel like that should be the bias as we head into inflation numbers next week that are likely to give us more of the same in terms of strong inflation. Now, I think it's fair to say that some of that's already in the price, as I mentioned, uh, but still probably leaning in the direction of positive for the dollar from the data perspective. So we continue to lean uh, tactically bullish on the dollar, uh, broadly speaking. Um, the other thing that's been big uh, in the U.S., not just on the data front, but on the Fed front as well, uh, the Fed has been, you know, maybe sounding a little bit more cautious in terms of not wanting to overdo it on the rate cutting side, uh, thanks to some of the more recent data that we've seen that have come in stronger. And we at NatWest have also changed our call for the Federal Reserve, looking at not just a later start to the easing cycle, 
June rather than May as our expected timing of the first cut, but also a slower pace of interest rate cuts from the Fed, more likely to be moving in more measured 25 basis point increments in the latter half of 2024, rather than in larger increments, which we thought could be possible you know, previously when we felt more confident that growth might be slowing a little bit faster. And so when it comes to other central banks, which really have to internalize what the Fed is doing into their own thinking, uh, you know, the two that stand out the most are Banxico in Mexico and the Bank of Canada in Canada. So, Alvaro, I want to bring you in here to talk about Mexico and Banxico. You know, U.S. economic data have been strong. They've continued to be strong. I think Mexico certainly feels benefits from that. Um, and Banxico is a central bank that really has, you know, tied its, you know, hitched itself into the Fed in some cases. How do you think the changing landscape for the Fed is impacting Banxico and, and Mexican peso? Yeah, no, thank you, Brian. And it's it's been very interesting, right? Because the Mexican peso has basically been the star of EM currencies over the last couple of years. It really has traded with the dollar, but with a very, very positive carry, right? Which I think, looking back, has been the main motivation behind behind all these flows into Mexico and all this long positioning in in the peso. Besides that, there's also the structural realignment of Mexican manufacturing and exports becoming closer to the U.S., gaining market share, especially of the U.S. versus China, right, which is a reflection of kind of the more complicated relationship in terms of geopolitics between the U.S. and China. So over the past, you know, 18 months or so, basically the question is, you know, why not be long and overweight Mexico versus everything else, which we agree to to some extent, right, the, the Mexican peso, uh, was one of our long peaks for, for emerging markets back in November of last year. We thought that the growth momentum driven mostly by the U.S. was going to you know, support valuations. But I think we are at a critical point for the peso and for Banxico, as, as you say. And uh, you know, we have changed our view and we have just uh, released a recommendation where we think that uh, the other currencies such as uh, the South African rand will benefit more than, than the Mexican peso from the central bank stance. And the basic view and proposition is that we think that Mexico is ready to start cutting rates at the next meeting, uh, which is in the coming month, uh, in part because inflation domestically has come down significantly. Growth is showing more signs of slowing down than it has in the U.S., and when you look at the real rate, right, so policy rates adjusted for inflation and especially adjusted for inflation expectations, either by the market consensus or by the central bank own forecast, it's very, very difficult to justify having such high restrictive rates, given what's going on globally. The timing is a little bit difficult because, as you say, they have implicitly been looking at the Fed and to some extent waiting for the Fed to signal that they're willing to cut. But we think that given that we expect the Fed to move in June, that Mexico has enough credibility and independence. And, you know, look where the peso is, right? It has The peso has already outperformed quite a bit that we think that they could go in, in March. Also, we have um, local elections, presidential and congressional elections in Mexico in early June. So waiting until April, in a way, will push the cut almost too closely 
to to the elections. Not that it's going to make a huge difference to the elections, but I just think in terms of the optics, and especially because we don't think that Mexico will cut every meeting. We just think that you know it makes more sense for them to to go now, which starts to change the dynamic, right? This kind of obsession of the market with Cari, especially in Mexico, uh, we think it starts to be shaken and therefore a more bearish view uh, for Mexico. Uh, this will also depend on, you know, the other big topic that we're hearing from clients and I want to bring it back to you, uh, the U.S. election, right? It's still obviously very early, but we're getting a lot more questions, uh, you know, the, the context for Mexico, but what are you seeing in terms of the primary and the way the market is digesting that? Yeah, I think the biggest thing that we have seen is that I think especially international observers may have been underestimating Trump, specifically his um, his strength within the Republican Party. And it certainly sounds like investors are sort of coming around to this idea that Trump is likely to be the nominee. He's clearly been dominating in the Republican primary so far. Super Tuesday comes up on March 5th. That's really like almost the coronation day for the nominees, right? And so that's probably the moment where Trump really solidifies his stance in this race. And it's going to be very difficult for Nikki Haley, the only remaining competitor, to stay in the race. And so I think a lot of the discussion on the election right now is talking about, you know, considering what a Trump presidency means for currencies and whether or not there are tradable themes on the back of a Trump presidency. Because I think. You know, uh, both of these individuals are known, you know, they were both president before, right, if, it's, if it ends up being Biden versus Trump. And so in that sense, there's a, there's a bit of known uh, underpinning this election. And we do have a playbook almost for what happens when these two individuals become president, because they both become president before. Um, but I think a lot of people are starting to ask themselves, are there any really clear standout trades in currency space to position for the possibility of what if it is a Trump victory. Um, and I think a really obvious one that a lot of people are looking at and starting to think about is dollar Mexico, because this was a currency where, especially in Trump's first uh, run at president in 2016, he was talking very, very aggressively about immigration, build the wall, and even you know uh, withdrawing from NAFTA. Um, and so there were very, very clear risks, I think, to Mexico specifically uh, from a Trump presidency. And I think a lot of people really grabbed on to Mexico as almost the, the the Trump hedge, if you will. How do you feel about that? How do you feel about Mexican peso um, as we head into November? Do you think it's fair to say that Mexican peso trades with a bit of a risk premium if the market is looking, I mean, almost almost maybe too um, too simplistically? But, you know, we know markets uh, markets love to grab onto a theme. Is that something that you're worried about and you're incorporating? I think it's very different than 2016, right? The, the first thing is that, you know, Mexico had made already some concessions in terms of immigration, right? So just the rhetoric around it loses a bit of bite in terms of what it actually means in terms of fundamentals, right? We went through the renegotiation of the trade agreement. That was a big risk, right? And if anything, as I said before, Mexico has become a bigger partner to the U.S., right? So the Trump, the first Trump presidency was actually very, very positive for Mexico because, you know, the, the, the most of the trade policies actually went against China and Mexico has been able to substitute a lot of that. So I don't think that, you know, whether on trade policies or, or in immigration, there's a lot of risk that we hear something different from uh, Trump or or the, the Republicans in, in general. I just think that Mexico will be willing to make some concessions in terms of, you know, asylum seekers and where they 
apply for that uh, like they did in the past. So I don't think that that's going to be different. What is important to note is that, you know, for the Mexican peso, and I think for a lot of assets, there's very little risk premium, right? Mm -hmm. Volatility, for whatever reason, globally is extremely low. So I don't think it will take much, just maybe the market trying to grab to a theme, right? And there will go, there are going to be more headline news and, and risks uh, around immigration around Mexico. So I don't think that, uh, you know, we can make much of it in terms of the actual economic impact. But I do feel that the peso is vulnerable to any kind of shake of, of volatility, which, you know, could come from from both elections, right? We also have a Mexican election. We think at the end of the day, maybe that's actually a positive for the market. But, you know, it, we're just entering a period where we could see more of these uh, headlines hit, hit the market. Uh, before we, we go, I wanted to, to ask you about Canada, the mm -hmm. other North American economy. There's been some developments on inflation, obviously the central bank, same dynamics as Mikiko looking at the Fed closely. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, so I mean, in a lot of ways, Canada and Mexico, one thing that they share is that you know these are two economies that their central banks and their you know and their their economies really rely on the U.S. and you know they get a lot of positive externalities uh, from the very strong U.S. economy. Maybe the biggest difference between Mexico and Canada is that difference in carry, right? That you were talking about. Mexico has had very very high nominal rates, and as inflation has fallen. That's really, you know, enhanced those real rates. In Canada, it hasn't quite been that, you know, like most G10 economies, they've been hiking at much more measured pace. And, you know, the, 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 top, the peak in rates uh, is quite a bit, is, is a decent ways lower. And the uh, Bank of Canada policy rates actually below the Fed funds rate right now. And the market generally prices these two economies to move very, very close together. And that's, I think, very understandable that, I, as I mentioned, the positive externalities that as the U.S. economy is potentially slowing or accelerating, that has important implications for Canada as well. And I think the market rightfully has questions about whether or not the BOC has the ability or willingness to really move that far ahead of the Fed, given these important linkages between the two economies. More broadly speaking, the economic data in Canada have shown much more clear signs of moderation when it comes to growth. Um, the U.S. economy has just continued to outperform pretty much on all cylinders. And it's been, frankly, quite surprising at the resiliency of the U.S. economy. Um, Canada's economy is showing some more clear signs of slowing. It's not across all asset classes. It's not across all asset classes and across all sectors of the economy. But it's clear that there has been a downshift. What Bank of Canada has been waiting for is for inflation to finally slow down. They love to look at um, short-term aggregates of core inflation. And even though we've had slower growth in Canada, we've effectively had inflation in these shorter term aggregates running at around a 3% annualized rate on core inflation for almost a year now. And so you've had the slowdown in, in growth. You've had um, easing in the labor market, some less concern about labor market um, supply and demand related issues. So there are signs that inflation should start coming down more materially, but these core inflation numbers have been very sticky. So I think that's why it was super interesting to see the January CPI numbers that came out in Canada this week that were actually a decent ways softer than expected. You know, uh, the core numbers did come in a little bit lower. Services inflation, which we know is a focus not just for Bank of Canada, but for everyone. Services inflation has been where a lot of the sticky inflation has been. Core, uh, goods inflation has been where we've seen more of the progress. Services inflation on a month-on-month -month basis in Canada was actually flat in the latest month. You know, that's a big change in what we have seen. Now, if you look at these short-term aggregates, you know, the, the numbers are, you know, continue or hold up, uh, 
you know, they're still holding pretty much flat because one month of improvement is not necessarily um, a sign of more good things to come. But it's definitely something that I think the Bank of Canada is going to look at, um, uh, you know, look at with perhaps a bit of a sigh of relief. And so, you know, as we head into the next uh, couple of months here, uh, certainly will be interesting to see how Bank of Canada pricing, if there's any scope for it to deviate from the uh, uh, from the Fed. I think that's probably the most interesting uh, macro theme for Canada right now is that just even as there's been differences in the economic data, the market seems pretty comfortable pricing these two central banks as effectively moving in lockstep. That the, it would require the Fed to move to, you know, to take your point, Alvaro, to give them almost the credibility or give them the green light to start easing themselves. I think the interesting thing is, will this data in Canada, if there's a continued slowdown, does that maybe open up the possibility that Bank of Canada could consider moving ahead of the Fed? Uh, and that's something that, you know, as we know, relative rates always has important um, implications for currencies. And that's something that I feel like is a theme in Canada that we have to keep an eye out for. But the fact that these two are so close together in terms of markets, pricing has been very close. That's kind of, I think, limited volatility in this pair and made it very difficult to trade from a directional perspective. So I think that's all the time we uh, all we have time for today. Alvaro, I want to thank you for joining and to our listeners. Thanks very much for joining as well. Uh, if you enjoy this podcast, please consider liking it and also subscribing to our channel to get our latest podcasts the moment they're released. Thank you very much.